And at that point, I'd been in ministry about four four years or so, and I was leaning way back because I just was getting so beat up, and there was nobody saying, "Yes, you can do this." And um, this gentleman, Keith Kruger, still friends with him, and he said, "I don't care. You need to be in front." And our students, our male or female students need to see you in front. And so allowed me to make mistakes, you know, um, and but encouraged and coached. And that was huge. My name is Timothy Eldred. On today's episode, I am speaking with my good friend, Jenny Olson. Jenny is a uh, pioneer, a legend, really. And she'd hate the fact that I just said that. But she has spent decades training the next generation of church leaders. She's been a pastor, professor, and I always learn something new from her sensitive insight. And if you listen closely, you will too. Welcome. This is the Authentic Pastor Podcast. But I've been waiting for this conversation because I think there are some um, I think there are some unique perspectives that you're going to bring to uh, the topic of authenticity. But um, you know, from the day we met, we haven't spent a lot of time together. No, uh-uh. but we've been able to, I think, um, get transparent and honest real fast in our in our years and few times of connection. Well, I was thinking about it, that our connections have been very intense. They've been short, intense, mm. and just because of who you are, we got we we were able to go deep quickly, which I highly value. You know, I have that conversation with a lot of friends and a lot of guests is why do we think that's true? Because most of the people on the podcast, you know, I have a connection with, and they're all that kind of relationship, even if it's, we're only face-to-face once a year, twice a year kind of thing, and then big gaps in, in between. And I don't think it's just me, but I, one thing that I don't do, I mean, not patting myself on the back, but I don't have time. I don't have time for the the nonsense mm-hmm. in my life, but I don't, I, I really haven't. I think I used to, hmm. I think like everybody else, you know, you get into a crowd of people and you put on your happy face and your best foot forward. And you, um, maybe you don't, but I embellish because I want you to be impressed with, you know, everything that I'm not, but I don't want you to know that. Um, so I, I've done my fair share of that. Yeah. But in the last, it's been more than two years, I mean, the last two years especially, but in the last few years, probably 10, I've just kind of abandoned that nonsense because it's not fulfilling. Yeah. You actually go someplace where you could be full and you leave empty. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think when we've been uh, through some things in life, it's like you just, uh, the trivial stuff is frosting and it's like you want to get to the depth. And um, the more the more we've gone through, I'm going to mix metaphors here, but the more fire we've gone through, uh, the more it's like, okay, let's, let's get to the real stuff because time is short. Does that only come with age? I mean, because that's my concern. My concern is... Um, the next generation of pastoral leaders Mm -hmm. that what are we passing on generationally? What are we modeling that they are absorbing 
that they, I, I don't think the church in general has time for that nonsense, but I don't feel like you have to be 50 to abandon it. Yeah. Um, I feel like you have to be 50 to abandon it because perhaps we have not modeled an alternative. It's like, oh, when you get old, you'll probably drop this. So I didn't call us both old. Um, <laughs> but I hate to wait and watch to see young leaders um, go through fires, using your metaphor, that they don't have to go through if they would abandon it sooner. But I think that is... I think that is caught. I think it's taught and it's caught, but I think it's caught by example, by what, you know, what we portray more than, more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reality is, is we've just gone collectively through a massive fire. Yeah. And I think it's helping younger leaders interpret what they just went through um, and how to, what to do with it. Um, but and this is not so much a developmental issue as I think it's a, a, a technology issue um, of not knowing how to necessarily communicate with another person face to face. How you know that? And we've done tons of research and read the research on it of how having a you know a phone in your hand just creates a shallower interaction. Um, but the reality is, is like okay, how is that being lived out with the younger generation? Um, we acknowledge it, but how do we help them and older generation? How do we help them kind of break that, uh, technology barrier of, okay, I put my phone down. I can actually have a face-to-face conversation. Um, Well, that's, I think, I think that's what technology has done to all of us in some ways. It's, it's, um, it's stunted our growth. Mm -hmm. Um, because you could emerge or evolve through that that process to be a more authentic individual, more transparent, vulnerable. Um, and we maybe 20 years ago or earlier would have grown through it quicker, but all of a sudden we put that technology, that phone, that device in our hands, and it um, retards us. That's not a popular word, but it's true. It retards. I mean, we're using it appropriately. It retards our growth. Yeah. Well, I think it was, um, I was listening to NPR. I think it was NPR just this last week. And they were talking about how um, they saw a marked increase in loneliness in 2014, since they've Mm -hmm. been measuring this marked in their research. And they went back and said, oh, that's the whole rise of not social networking, but social media and that switch and of, what that has meant of we are we think we have these social connections because we're online with Instagram, TikTok, whatever. Um, but there is this emotional loneliness that is there. And I don't think we have done a good job equipping people with the skills to deal with emotional loneliness. I mean that's that's your whole thing, right? Yeah, that's Alone that's sex. that's my that's my um that's my drum. Yep, and which is why um, I think it resonates so with people. And ironically, I think this is going to be a struggle because ironically, I do think you know the church is growing smaller, which I'm excited about seeing mm-hmm. churches grow grow smaller, micro. You know, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But we're using technology to do it, so I don't know. I think there, we're we're potentially putting an obstacle in front of us at the same time. 
but that that is dwarfing, you know, that authenticity, that intimacy, and the accountability that we so desperately need, that when we do get face-to-face, going back to the original part of the conversation, when we do get face-to-face, we don't know how to respond. We don't know how to, I always use the word naked. We don't need to be vulnerable and naked and exposed with each other in a healthy way because we've been so used to being filtered. I think we've always been filtered, but like you say, since 2014-ish, we've even become more filtered. And that's my concern. I mean, this is a massive project that we're taking on. And there's days I think, are we, are we so lost that we can't find our way out of it? I don't believe so, or I wouldn't have invested the last year of my life creating this, you know, not to mention like, you know, my retirement fund. Um, so this has to work, you know, we can, people go, so you think this is going to actually work? It has to, or I'm going to be living with, you know, you or somebody else, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, some days I really have my concerns like, man, it's the system, the structure, um, culture, all of it so stacked against us that um, there's no light at the end of the tunnel or we will get so desperate. And I think you can speak to this, maybe some research you're seeing, because I know you do that. So desperate, they're, the next generation, or even not just generation, because technology and all these problems have transcended age. Mm-hmm. We get so desperate to finally go, that's it. Yeah. This is not working. And so, which will result in a drastic shift of the pendulum swinging back. But if we're not careful, we're going to lose a lot of really good stuff along the way and jettison things we should hold on to. But I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's, if, are we to a tipping point or we think we're getting to a tipping point? Uh, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw the New York Times this week, but there's a group of teenagers that are calling themselves the Luddites, the Luddite Club, and based in New York City. Luddites. Luddites. Anti-computer, okay. anti-technology, and they just get together so they don't have the phones with them, and they figure out this is where we're going to meet in Central Park or wherever, and we don't have technology and we are together and we have conversations and, or we draw or we Hmm. just be together. And, um, it's, it's a fascinating kind of, that's, that's encouraging. Yes. Isn't it? Yep. It is. I mean, it's interesting that, um, one of the, the people said my parents have required that I, you know, I have some phone. So she has a flip phone. (laughs) Okay. Because they, they, and that's kind of the parental anxiety of like, I need to be able to reach you. Mm-hmm, um, yeah, right. And that's a lot of the pressure is, yeah, coming from there. But I think we're beginning to see, especially coming out of the pandemic, when so much of early COVID was online, classes online, mm-hmm. and students just saying, I, I don't like this. I don't like being online. Um, and I think we're going to see a shift and maybe it's not a shift, a pendulum shift, but it's like, okay, technology is a tool. How do I use this tool appropriately? Um, I don't like how I first used it where it was overwhelming my life. Um, how do I balance this out and make it do what I want when I want, and then to put it aside. I'm really excited because I've got a Motorola razor in my desk drawer. (laughs) You I mean, were. I'm, yes. I'm still. I'm still stuck on flip phone. That it's coming back. 
Right. You know, there are parents who that's what they're getting their kids. It's like, Merry, we Christ, need to get Merry, a hold of Merry you. Christmas. Here's the 1993 <laughs> phone that, you know, I've it's saved vintage. for all these years. Vintage. My Blackberry. I'm bringing out the Blackberry. <laughs> getting out the Blackberry. Yeah. I, I think when we ever, whenever we in, in life in general, we have a moment of awakening in a crisis. That's a reflection like, uh, you know, we've missed an opportunity here. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like the conversation at every funeral, mm-hmm. every yeah. family Christmas gathering. I mean, that's when we're recording this, you and I, just a couple of days before Christmas. And then you leave and you get in the car and you go, oh, we should do that more often. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment of aha. And then 12 months later, we do it again. Um, but at least there's that glimpse, that moment of like, okay, this yeah. isn't working. It's like the controversy right now about phones in schools. Mm-hmm. And you're and you're seeing, and, and I haven't done a ton of research following this, but you are seeing that the proponents of phones in schools are parents. They're not students. Yes. Yep. This is students going, you know, please let me leave it in my backpack or not even bring it. And the parents are fighting it going, kids have to have their phone in school. And again, that is because of fear of violence, um, Mm -hmm. connection, wanting to be tethered, you know. And I understand that, right? I've got a wife in school and I like her to have her phone on her because, you know, school systems, classrooms, I mean, they've become a battleground. Um, So I want to know. I want to know there's something wrong that I can get a hold of her. She can get a hold of me as well. So I get the parent's perspective. There's got to be a balance in that. And I think that's in general, when it comes to living with authenticity, that's the same thing. It's finding that it's finding that balance between your private life, your public life, your professional life, where you're not always feeling like this doesn't work. This is empty. And that's what I'm hearing from pastors is like, this is not working anymore. Yeah. And, and COVID added to that too. Mm-hmm. So we're learned. So it, I mean, I hate to say this, this is going to sound really bad because of the loss of life, but in looking back at it, we're going to find this to be a blessing in mm-hmm. some ways. I mean, a yeah. bittersweet blessing. Yeah. Okay. Let's not call it just a blessing because that, that would sound really morbid, but a bittersweet blessing that maybe it was a turning point if we learned from it. Yeah. Um, I remember in our staff meetings at the beginning of COVID when we just said, okay, we're, we're virtual. I had told our team that when this pandemic finally breaks, we will continue to spend 7,500% of our energies. I'm not virtual, but relational Mm -hmm. and, and so much less programmatic and gathering large gathering based. And damn, if we did not drift right back into it, yep. you know? So I guess that's what I say my concern is, is will we learn enough to actually make a shift? And I guess because I have a little bit of apprehension is why I'm doubling down on this authentic message to say, okay, we can't, we can't drift back into it. So what can I possibly do to help the 40% of pastors who are walking away from their career recognize that that's not the answer either? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the challenge, right? Is that we've been taught certain skills and tools in our past of this is how we do it. This is, you know, we went to the conferences, we learned those, 
Um, and unfortunately, during the pandemic, we did not, sometimes we learn new skills. And um, that's, uh, that's the challenge. What, what we're seeing, and I work with some pastors, um, is if their main skill was relationship building, you know, I, I, this, I'm chemistry, you know, oriented. It's, I've got to be around people, um, during, depending on how each church handled it, but during the shutdowns, it was like my skills, I, I have no other skills. I only know how to build relationships with people. Um, and so what else do I do? And so now that their churches are coming, are back, um, but people aren't necessarily back, they are operating at a loss. I know how to build a relationship with my congregation for the people who show up. Okay. You need to develop some new skills. How do you go out in the community and build those relationships? Um, or how do you hone your strategy skills or your spirituality skills? Going back to Dave Olson's kind of the three legged stool, you know, three things that a, that a pastor, you're usually strong in one of those, you know, chemistry strategy or um, spirituality. So all that to say of recognizing what we've just come through and going, okay, what's the skill set I've relied on? What's the new skill set that I need to develop? Um, relationships, very important, but too many, I think too many are waiting for people to show back up in the pews. And it's like, nope, this is where you go out into the community. We've become, I never want to sound indicting, but I think sometimes in our pastoral life in general, we've become really lazy Mm-hmm. And then maybe as a result of the fact that what we call pastoral ministry may not be actually biblical pastoral ministry. We're organizational leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's a, uh, if, if nothing, there's a cultural change taking place where we may actually have to get back to understanding, um, what being a shepherd is and the equipper of saints is. Um, so a lot of the skills that we need that keep us feeling like professionally, here's what I do privately mm-hmm. here. I feel is a result of we've created a, a profession that doesn't match who we are, who we're supposed to be. And I think then that creates that overwhelming sense of, ah, this is not who I am. This is not what I signed up for. I really did sign up to spend time with people and love on people and care for people and shepherd people and equip people. But to do that, I've got to get in their lives. Yeah, I've got to get let them see who I really am. But we don't know how to do that because that's not that's not what the profession looks like. That's not what the church looks like. Yeah. And so therefore, that's not what faith looks like sometimes. That's why I think I've, I've said this, and I'm, per, I'm sure I've said it to you, that the church is one of the most inauthentic places on a Sunday morning anywhere in the world. Because yeah. we all walk in that way, and dang, that sounds really bad, but you know, you can't fix what you don't admit. And I think that's I think that's where we're at. But you know, I may be on the far left of the spectrum, which I usually am. You know, That's why I irritate people so we're much. Friends. <laughs> That's right. We get along so well. We're not afraid of the hard topics, even if we disagree. <laughs> yesterday, I've got to tell you, yesterday, I got a I got a, a phone call last week 
someone asking me to come to North Dakota in January and speak. Oh, I've done that before. Oh, God. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'll that's, that. like, that's like February three or four years ago. I told you I ended up in Fairbanks in February, 40 below zero. And I'm like, this is, this is not a kingdom assignment. This is not a kingdom assignment. This is, <laughs> this is a bad, this, this is a one step closer to hell, really cold mm-hmm. hell. So anyway, uh, they said, I'll get back to you, you know, first of the week. And uh, I've spoken there before and it's a, it's, it's a great event. Mm-hmm. And so, but yesterday, like late afternoon, I got a text back because you know me, like, you know, my beginning of my other podcast, my square peg round hole podcast, my Timothy Eldred page, I flat out say that I'm a bourbon drinking, pipe smoking, Jesus loving, yeah. you know, <laughs> moron. And so somebody on their staff looked at my website and said, hmm, he's a bourbon drinker, pipe smoker is what it says. So he's not a good fit for us. Mm. The guy wrote me back and he said, the person who said it is a bourbon drinker. (laughs) But because you will say it out loud, they don't want you to come in and kind of upset things. And uh, because they want this nice little... Uh, this is how we behave know, here. This I'm is sure. how we behave here. And how can we do that? And so this, this, I felt so bad for the, first of all, I was relieved. I was really relieved. Like, thank God I did not want to go to Bismarck in January because the next week I have to be in Florida. So, you know, from Bismarck oh. to Florida, that's a good way to get sick. That's just drastic yeah. weather, climate change. So <laughs> I don't want to do that to my body. You know, that's just, there we go. <laughs> I don't do that to my body. So it was a blessing in disguise, but I felt bad for the organization and particularly the person who was calling me out for being authentic, because what you're saying is you don't know how to be. So therefore, we shouldn't bring in a speaker who is either. Mm. Let's just continue to play this little this little game that we've created to make ourselves feel safe. And I mean, I've just read way into that. But I don't I don't think I've read into that. I think that probably is an accurate summarization of the situation that we're trying to tackle in the authentic pastor. Yeah. And I think our, our pastors are so tuned in right now to litmus test questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's like, okay, if this person says this, how will my congregation respond? Um, or the congregation lets them know. It's like, oh, bourbon drinking? Mm, that's, nope. Republican? Trumper? Yes. You yeah. voted for Biden? Whatever it might be, right? Using code it's, words, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah oh, code they, word. That's a good, that's a good word. Code words. Yeah. It, it's... You know, they're, they're woke, they're, uh, you know, anything like that. And so it, it, I feel for our pastors because they are truly trying to shepherd, but the sheep are like kind of fighting with each other and um, the sheep aren't willing to go there. And so it's, it's a very real struggle. And I can see why it is a real struggle. Ready to yeah. tap out. I, I get that. I am not, you know, two years ago, you know, I was ready to tap out. Yeah. For different reasons, but still, I under, the pressure was just like I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, this is no longer fun, you know. And then you go, well, but Jesus died on the cross, so I guess I'll <laughs> suck it up. And I just think that is that's a cop out as well. Um, but if your people, we don't know how to navigate those conversations. We don't know how to be the bridge in those conversations. 
people don't want to be um, connected. We like, I say we like, we're used to the division. Mm-hmm. We function pretty energy. well in, in chaos. Well, yeah, because if I'm right, you're wrong. And I feel a whole lot better about myself, even if it's you know, a false sense of security. Yeah. I get energy if I argue with you yeah. or with, I argue with a straw man. There's something very anger just covers a multitude of crap. And so I think if pastors who are spiritual leaders in the body of Christ, if we can't figure this out, it really worries me because people are watching our example. Mm-hmm. And so I actually, I picked up the phone and um, I called my sons who work with me and make my life a whole lot better because they're smarter than me <laughs> and said, oh, hey, we're not going to North Dakota. Uh, because someone read my website and the response was great because we're not changing who you are yeah. for one organization or one group because that's against everything we believe in as a company as an organization as a family yeah. you know i've tried to teach them that and not that i have it down perfectly but okay if i have to take a few lumps to have these kinds of conversations publicly that's why I'm so glad like, you know, you come on because I know that sometimes I look at a podcast guest list and go, I like that person, but I can't have them on my podcast because that's going to be a bunch of bullshit. Mm. It just is. I'm like, I'm like, I, I like you, but I don't think you're an authentic person. So what are we going to talk about on my podcast? Because I'm going to have to call you out for being inauthentic. And that mm. doesn't make anyone happy, you know? <laughs> It's like, well, thanks for that. Uh, well, you signed the release form, so I'm going to destroy <laughs> you. So let's, let's um, you know, we jumped right in, and I always do that. But let's talk about your role just a minute, mm-hmm. because I think context is important for people who will listen to this conversation. Um, you don't pastor a church. No. Mm-mm. And... Um, and so people are like, well, we've got people on who don't pastor church. I have lots of people on who don't pastor churches. But, you know, I know, but can you just, you know, pretend that I don't know and tell me exactly what your assignment is and what you're doing now and how that relates to rubbing shoulders with pastors all the time? Yeah. Yep. Um, my adult life has been spent in leadership and youth ministry on very in various forms. So as a youth pastor, as a professor... Um, I've done some writing, some speaking in the area, and about 11 years ago, came on board with um, the denom- denomination that I'm affiliated with. Um, do you want me to say the denomination? Is that unless you're embarrassed? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the day. No, um, the Evangelical Covenant, and we're in a small denomination. I describe us as if the Lutherans and the Baptists had a love child, it would be us. So you'll find, <laughs> you'll find churches that are at both ends of that spectrum. Oh, yeah. You cover, I mean, you guys cover the every oh, end of that spectrum, right? We do. Yes. But you know, I, I will say this before you finish about what you do. You've, uh, I, mean, I don't see behind the scenes, right behind the curtain under the hood of, uh, of, of the denomination. But in my uh, interactions, I would say that you do that well. There's a lot of grace. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there may be both ends of the spectrum, but there's not as much fighting and bickering as I see in other organizations because there's a freedom 
do I, do I sense that right? There's more freedom than maybe other, or, or am I just, have you blinded me? Like, Well, um, it, there historically has been, we are in the midst of a pretty um, interesting debate as many denominations are right now. Um, and so just trying to figure out how do we work through this and, mm-hmm. you know, ours is on human sexuality um, mm-hmm. right now and how churches and pastors are interpreting where to go with that. And um, I appreciate the tenor of the conversation where oftentimes it's how do we, how do we work through this together? Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can't get to a point where we agree, um, what does this look like moving forward? So um, it's an argument, but it's, it feels like a civil argument or debate right now. So it's interesting to watch Um, trying to always keep the kind of the drones eye view um, you mentioned that I don't pastor and I'm, I'm a deliberate lay person. Um, I am an advocate for lay leaders in the church. I serve on our elder board at my local church. Um, and I think that's important, um, that we don't just see leadership in the church as being those who are ordained and credentialed and licensed, but. Right. And so, I mean, and, and, and you know, I meant nothing by that, but when I say you don't, don't know. Yeah. pastor, Right. So people have this, this traditional idea of what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you clearly, you know, have the gift of pastoral ministry. You do. You just don't serve in a traditional role that, that people view that in. What I think is, has actually sometimes you've got more freedom. Mm-hmm. You've got more freedom in, in some ways you're more, you, you can be more effective than the person who gets the paycheck and wears the collar or stands behind the pulpit. Yeah. Yeah. There so, is a lot more of that freedom and that ability to uh, use my voice um, to influence, uh, hopefully in a good way mm-hmm. um, where I can speak my opinion. And well, although I am, I, I work for the regional, a regional office of the covenant, just to be clear that I'm not working for the national office. Um, so just there are times where it's like, okay, I need to be cognizant of my role. And what I say when I say it, um, and hopefully that's maturity and not inauthenticity. Discernment, right? Discernment. Yeah. Or, or sometimes all of the above, right? Yeah. Sometimes inauthenticity, no matter how hard we try, ekes through. Yeah. I'm interested. So on my um, last week, I shot a module for our course on self sabotage. Mm. but I wrapped the whole entire thing up and drifted into three or four videos on imposter syndrome. Mm. One of the points I made in that where I felt like I was not the expert. And so I really wanted to have this conversation with you. This question was through the research that I did and how much more sometimes uh, not even in ministry, just in life in general, but it, it may be leadership, corporate, especially in leadership roles. We all walk into a room. They say we all, that's hyperbolic. Uh, I walk into a room, sometimes even of friends, like even sitting in our circle in Colorado, mm-hmm. as much trust as there is there. There are even times when we're having a round table discussion, sitting around a fire where if the conversation comes to me, I'm still thinking like, how do I not answer this and sound stupid? <laughs> you know, cause everyone around this circle is smarter than I am. I mm-hmm. always feel that. And, um, 
which is ironic because I convened this circle. So I really <laughs> should get dumber people around that circle, you know? So, talk about self-sabotage. We'll quit inviting all the smart people to the table. But I do. I feel like that. I mean, I've, I've kind of always felt that like that most of my life. I know it's not true, right? I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty intelligent. I actually said that in one of my modules. I looked right at the camera and yeah. said, I am a very intelligent person. Good. You know? And um, and I'd look at the mirror and say, you really are. No, you really are. You really are. No, <laughs> I, I really am. But that doesn't mean I don't feel like an imposter. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, how in the world did I even make friends with all these people? How did this even happen that I got to have these kind of amazing relationships in my life that they will actually take a week of their life and hang out with us all together? you know, in a little retreat setting. Yeah. My point was there are times that I think that even it can be even, you tell me if I'm wrong, more difficult for women in a pastoral, mm-hmm. heavy male laden profession. It's gotta yeah. be true. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. To, feel, to feel like I don't belong here, even though you've got the, you've got the chops in yeah. any way, every way. Oh, and, and to be actually told you do not belong here. Um, mm. And that's, you know, when it's, you, you begin to question, um, do I, I mean, I experienced this a, a little bit in academia, so it's there, but very much so in the church. Um, and, uh, just, uh, early on in ministry, um, there weren't many women in youth ministry on mm-hmm. uh, church staffs. And I remember discovering, so I was leading a team at that point, I was about 24 leading a team of three staff people in about I don't know, 30, 35 volunteers. We had about a hundred and some kids in our ministry. So um, trying to figure out what I was doing and found out that one of uh, the people I was supervising was getting paid more than I was. Um, I had a degree. I had experience. He did not have a degree, but he was married and wanted to buy a house. (laughs) And that's how we put together the pay schedule. Oh, that was it. (laughs) And I remember you know, here's, here's my mom who does not at that point did not believe in women being in ministry as pastors. Um, and she said, I don't care. You need to go fight. You need to fight, not just for yourself, but for the women that are going to follow you Mm -hmm. and, um, going into the meeting and, um, the, can I say bitch, can we edit that out? You you just did. And we don't bleep, (laughs) we don't bleep anything out of this podcast, (laughs) but it's, well, We we haven't yet until today. There's always a first. Oh, yeah. Way to break the ice. Uh, but that, I mean, that, that being, having that word just, it wasn't explicitly said, but it was just kind of very strongly little, yeah. mm-hmm. that if you pursue this, this is, and going, oh, okay. That as a, as a young female in church leadership going that I can't bear that word. Um, and there's just that sense that I, can I fight for this? Or is, is this just not a good fit for me? Is this not the right place? And so every step you have, you don't have that network around you that's saying, yes, we affirm this call. I wasn't given a lot of opportunities to preach. You know, mm-hmm. it's like once every year to two years. And so you don't get good at that. No, you can't hone like, anything that way. You can't prove or validate yourself, no. you know, publicly. Yeah. Yep. And, and then so you're it's critic- like, and then you're criticized for your lack of competency. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And there's nobody coaching you 
or nobody coaching me until finally in the end, I had somebody who uh, was uh, basically cleared paths for me. And at that point, I'd been in ministry about four, four years or so. And I was leaning way back because I just was getting so beat up and there was nobody saying, yes, you can do this. And um, this gentleman, Keith Kruger, still friends with him. And he said, I don't care. You need to be in front. And our students, our male or female students need to see you in front. And so allowed me to make mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, but encouraged and coached. And I haven't seen Keith Kruger in a long time. Good man. He is. Really good man. I always felt good because I was taller than Keith. (laughs) um, But no, he's a super, super kind gentleman. Yes. Yep. It's always nice to have people who have paved the way that we can mentor us, you know, a few years older than us. Yeah. Even a few minutes ago when you said, like, I serve on the elder board of my church, I know there are people listening here and go, kind of church is that right <laughs> yeah. so if you're listening if you're listening i'm sorry that you know you're you keep listening you'll learn something um <laughs> it sounded really harsh but it's true <laughs> you know we gotta break some of this we gotta break some of this well, I, biblical, biblical nonsense that's the church background i came out of so i understand that struggle oh absolutely no no it's only we only know yeah. what we know right yeah. and when you begin to question any of that um now you feel disingenuous in a different way Yes. Because we've been told we can't even have these conversations like you were having, like the hard conversations you're having in the covenant right now. Yeah. But there's a space and that's what we're trying to do. Like in this conversation, this podcast is create a safe space to ask the hard questions or to say the hard things like this is how, but this is really how I feel. And I never, I can't say this anywhere else, but if we can find small pockets even if it's just someone listening to a podcast in their car as they're driving to feel like, okay, maybe I can get enough courage to really share some things that are on my heart Mm -hmm. so that I don't feel like a fake or a phony um, in my role. How have you, um, I'm getting personal. You can put the brakes on anytime, but I don't think you're going to, you just said bitch. So um, (laughs) where do you, I'm just going to assume you do tell me if I'm wrong, but where, where do you ever feel like even in your role, whether it be in your local church, denomination, college setting, classroom, where does inauthenticity um, creep into your life where you feel there's a gap between your public persona and your private world? Mm. Like you walked away feeling like, ah, that's not what I wanted to say. That's not who I am. Why didn't I just, you know, why didn't I just be me? Yeah. Is, is there, is there one area or another where that creeps up for you? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the different settings of when um, I will wade into being authentic. I, I, I let me backtrack. I, I use Scott Peck's different drummer paradigm Mm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that makes me old school, but it's that whole thing of, you know, we, we, he starts with, you know, the shallow kind of, uh, I call it church lobby kind of conversation where we have our mask on Mm. and then something happens. That's a great word picture. Church lobby. Yeah. yeah, You smile, you nod. Um, And then there's moments of chaos and, you know, he talks about it's a crossroads moment. Do we enter into the chaos um, 
And if we do, and we do it successfully, we push into it, um, then we enter a stage of emptying ourselves of our preconceived notions. And when we empty, then we can truly then enter into the last stage, which is true community. Um, and so for me, it's that church lobby when a, a situation where I'm getting to know people um, and I'll say something, I'm like, okay, we're having this little conversation. I'm going to take the risk and say something that reveals more of what I believe or what I think or feel. And sometimes you viscerally, you, you, sorry, physically, you just watch them kind of lean back and it's like, okay, is it because you're uncomfortable with what I just said, my authenticity, what I just said, do you disagree? Is your view of me changing? And it's that backing away from chaos. And it's like, and Peck talks about that. He goes, if you back away from the chaos, you stay in that place of shallowness. And it's really hard, if not impossible, to then enter into true community. You have to go through the chaos. And so for me, it's... um, I feel like that's baggage, right? So if you don't push through the chaos to get to the point of real community, then you always walk away wondering. Yeah. And because if you're wondering, it means there was no resolution. Mm -hmm. So that just creates confusion and you carry confusion because how do you know now? Yeah. They might've, you don't know, like you said, you don't know why they recoiled. Yes. But you'll never know. Yes. But and even if I, I will push or ask and, and just try to do a reflective, help me understand your reaction here. Um, yeah, I live in Minnesota. And so there's also that culture where it's like, you just asked me a direct question. Yeah. I <laughs> lived know? there for a while. No, there's no, there's no, it's the only place in my life I've ever sat down through an entire hockey game. No, and I, I'm not kidding. I went to watch the Minnesota North stars 30 years ago. Oh my goodness. And, um, People don't even know the North Stars used to be in Minnesota. Mm, yep. and, and I mean, it's a professional hockey game. And it was like I was sitting at a uh, a piano recital or a golf match with a little golf clap. I'm like, <laughs> someone just got slammed into the glass in front of you. And you're like, oh, yeah, yes. that was real. It's like, where am I at? Minnesota. Okay. All right. I get it now. Oh, yeah. I I lived in Chicago for about 25 years. And so coming back here after that, it took me a while to um, adjust to that because I was and somebody asked me once, um, they said, are you from New York? I'm like, no, Chicago. Why? And they said, yeah, I'm kind of an edge to you. And I'm like, okay. Um, (laughs) That's what I would say about Ginny Olsen. You have an edge to you. (laughs) I, I, okay, that you're just telling me that my behavior is not Minnesota acceptable. And so that's, you know, that's the whole, how do I be authentic? Yeah. And how do I also acknowledge the culture that I'm in? Well, so I'll go back to a word we talked about earlier. First of all, thank you for that. The whole issue of balance again. Because you do have to be cognizant of the, your audience, you know, there's times, I mean, I've been in my church for 27 years, same church. And, um, which is amazing. They haven't kicked me out by now. And I get, I get, I'm pretty comfortable, you know, but we said that at the beginning of the conversation. I, I don't, I don't have too many guards up ever, you know, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should have a few more, but Please no. I'm pretty. I'm pretty comfortable with with who I am. But even sometimes I come off a stage in my own church, and Cindy will say, "Really? 
really. You had to go there. You had to say it that way. You had to share that particular story. And, um, and so my wife, who's Minnesotan, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, married a foreigner. Um, mixed marriage. Mixed marriage, <laughs> for sure. She gets a little uncomfortable. And at the same time, I'll get people on a Sunday morning or a weekend service who will say, I can't believe you said that. Thank you so much mm -hmm. for saying yeah. that. And all I'm trying to do is demonstrate that it's okay. It's okay when, you know, you have that kind of week to not get in the pulpit and act like you didn't have that kind of week when you just went through a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to share details, but I can just get up and say, I have no desire to be speaking God's word to you this morning. I don't even know if I've got anything to say. So buckle up. We're both going to be surprised or use an illustration that I think this is going to make people uncomfortable. And it sometimes it's backfired, but the large majority of the time it's been affirmed. Like yeah. oh, that was such a breath of fresh air. And my, my worry, worry might be a strong word, but my concern is that so many pastors have never had a space like that to experience that freedom. So that feels like so foreign. Like, how would I even begin to do that? That's going back to, again, this next generation. It's never been modeled for me. Yeah. Um, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is, this is the job. And yet, in all my private conversations, I, 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 just, I just hear, like, hear the words, I hate this part of the job. Mm -hmm. No, why do you act that way? Well, because that's how I get paid, mm. you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I gotta, I've gotta believe in your, in your role. You know that you hear those conversations in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's hard when you've got a family that. So it's not just oh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you've got people relying on you. And, and so you're weighing that in your mind um, of, can I take this risk? And I would say it's, I would encourage people to find a, a smaller group to begin mm. to share. This is how I, I take the risk. So it's not your congregation on a Sunday mm -hmm. morning that you're subjecting them to, um, you know, you're kind of trying to figure this out but that you've got a group of people around you that can support you on that journey towards authenticity and well, um, can help you I, practice. A lot of people don't think that you can be friends with people in your church, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's, that's sad. that that's so far past, you know, the um, thought that we should still be talking about, but it's residually hung on with us for a really mm -hmm. long time in the pastoral world. But no, I don't think you need to, um, and, and sometimes, so think about, I'm thinking about younger pastors again, who may not have the experience, therefore maybe the maturity to mm -hmm. know when you get, you know, walk out on stage naked and, um, you know, metaphorically, of course, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> that's a whole nother headline in the New York times, <laughs> you know, so, 
Um, but we've got those two. So mm-hmm. you see that all the time. But do starting small. Like I have a handful of, uh, I had the best staff meeting yesterday, Jenny. Mm. We got done working on three hours worth of budget. My church operations director looked at me and she said, how about we turn our staff meeting into a bourbon tasting? Okay. It's Tuesday. <laughs> it's Tuesday. It's noon. Yeah. Yep. Why not? Now, I, you know, I don't care if people in my church listen or not, but they would not be shocked. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not going to get up and tell our old church on Sunday morning at Christmas, like we had the best Christmas party because, you know, we, ch- we sampled 14 different bottles of bourbon out of my office. <laughs> I'm going to have that conversation with two or three people. I did this morning at coffee. One of my dearest friends and member of our church. He said, I was yesterday. I said, we had a best staff meeting. Oh yeah. What was so good about it? We'd sampled like, you know, 13, 14 different bottles. Yeah. But that's a small circle. Yeah. And um, so sometimes, and I, I, I don't know where I'm leading with this other than I've got a thought in the back of my head. Sometimes, authenticity doesn't mean I'm authentic everywhere I'm at it means I'm not fake, right? There's a difference right. between being fake and being authentic. You can be authentic and not, you know, expose everything. But yeah. even if I have this, that small group of people that I don't have to shade anything that might be enough to like, let the pressure out of the blister. Yeah. You know, that there was some place, sometime in my day, my week, more often than not, that I didn't have to let this fester and build up and fester and this feeling of authenticity fester where I could, with somebody like with Jenny, I could just, I could let it out, let the pressure valve out and go, oh, that felt so good. Because if you don't have that place, well, you're going to implode. Yeah. Yeah. You do need those safe people, but I, I, the point you made, uh, it's not just kind of the bleeding everywhere, and that's not necessarily what authenticity is, and it goes back to your you know, conversation about it being the imposter syndrome. It's this sense of, I know who I am, um, and the power comes from inside versus external validation, and it's like, my authenticity is, you know, I'm having conflict with a member of the church. Um, they can come at me with criticism, and I, uh, the authenticity will allow me to maybe absorb it, but not own it, mm-hmm. absorb it in that I'm listening to you. Um, but then I'm also realizing, no, nope, I know who I am. Um, and I know what you're saying, what's truth and what's not true. Um, what I need to work on, what I don't, but it, it's this deep sense of calm of uh, you can come at me with your stuff and with your opinions and whether or not you think I'm valid in this role. I know who I am. I know yeah. who God has called me to be. Um, and I think that sense of authenticity of like, yeah, no, okay. This is what See, I take. This is what I let roll off of me. And that's where I, when, when, when we have the conversation, quite often people think only of authenticity as my external expression. Yes. Your external authenticity only comes from your internal confidence of who, that I feel good with who I am. I'm okay with what you think because I know this is to be true. It's yeah. the pastor who never has that feeling. They're constantly wondering, like, 
who am I? Is this really who I am? Is this what I really believe? I mean, is this what really people think about me? And there's that constant storm going on inside where I never get settled into, okay, it's okay. Yeah. Because I will be okay no matter what. Until you get there, I think then there becomes that ongoing battle. And I think that's what kills is that internal mm-hmm. battle yep. is what destroys us emotionally, spiritually. I think is those are the kind of battles that cause us to make these stupid moral failures. I mean, all self-sabotage is not a moral failure, but most of them can lead there. But we begin to self-destruct or um, compensate for our incompetencies or our feeling of incompetencies until they become dangerous and harmful, which all of that becomes with this, say all of it. I think most of it is a result of my internal struggle of who am I in Christ or not to sound heretical, but I'm just going to take Christ out of it and say, who am I? Yeah. It's okay. I mean, I've had this conversation recently with people that they get a little concerned that we're talking about like self-care and self-confidence. And I'm like, mm-hmm. since when did it become a sin to be confident in who God made you to be in his image? Yes. It's yeah. okay to feel good about you without throwing on the tagline of, well, in Christ, I'm, I feel good because yeah. I'm covered with the blood. You, you need to feel good about who you are no matter what. And when you can, then your authenticity expressed, you know, externally um, will be a true indication. They will align. Yeah. Yeah. It's that misalignment that really worries me in the pastor's life, because I know how dark of a place that can be to, to exist from. Yeah. Say more about the misalignment. What do you mean by that? Well, when I say misalignment, I'm talking about like who you think I am and who I portray to the world is not aligned with really what I'm feeling inside. And so there's this constant friction. And, you know, you can't constantly have friction because you wear those parts out of you. Mm -hmm. So where is the where is the the grease, the lubrication that keeps that that keeps that from being to a point where that that friction doesn't eat you aside and burn up inside and you become this burning pain of I can't do this anymore until I've abandoned my job, my family, my career, my principles, my values, only to find some sense of false relief. Yeah. And that's when things implode and they become headlines. But they don't have to become headlines for that to be happening all over in churches across the world. Yeah. In pastors' lives. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, this is where that doing the deeper work, right. Of mm. self-reflection uh, as pastors, um, you know, like I said, I've been teaching youth pastors for decades now. Uh, one characteristic is we tend to be people pleasers. And so we are sure. very externally oriented, always kind of gauging what are people's opinions of us. And it means we have to be very deliberate to do the harder inner work to make sure that my validation is coming from inside, not from what you think. And so that means therapy um, or spiritual direction. I have found with uh, um, younger generations that there's a real negative attitude towards therapy. They, When I was a college professor, a number of students were like, yeah, I, I went to a therapist when I was in third grade. I will never go back. Um, and so we would talk about spiritual direction. And that 
clicked with them more. So they were more open to that than they were going yeah. back to see a counselor or a therapist. And I'm like, just whatever it takes for you to do deeper work. Yeah. Do it. I, I love the phrase deeper work, inner work. People have a reticence, I think sometimes in Christianity to that idea that, you know, I'm doing this myself as opposed to recognizing the first, the, the first foundational principle is here is uh, that's where God's spirit lives. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you go inside, well, where are you going inside to? Uh, to the divine power that's given you everything you need to live a godly life. Yeah. And so be still and know. Exactly. And, just, and sometimes the pastoral ministry doesn't, doesn't um, afford us the opportunity to be still enough. Yeah. Unless yeah. we make it. We have to fight right? for it. We have to fight for it. Yep. And it has to be just like my schedule. I mean, on my schedule, like I, I have a calendar where I call, I color my world. Everything orange on my Google calendar is about me. Mm-hmm. And it starts every morning from five to six thirty. That is my time. Cause I know when I leave the house that sometimes my time is going to be hijacked. So I don't schedule quiet time in the middle of my day. Yeah. You know, of course I'm never going to have it, but I also don't get up at seven o'clock and run out the door because now I'm not going to have it. So I, if I do not schedule that five to six thirty hour and a half time, which includes a workout, which includes, you know, some reading and quiet time and meditation, um, then I'm going to just be a suck dried juice box my whole life. And inauthenticity is going to rise up and it's going to rear its ugly head and it's going to win the battle. Yeah. It's going to beat me up. Yeah. And that's just no way to, it's not, it's not even, that's why we don't talk about leadership. It, the authentic mm-hmm. pastor. I'm not talking about how to become a better leader. Yeah. You know, um, you get that, you can get that anywhere. You know, there are yeah. a thousand books on that. How to just be a better you. Yeah. Everything else will emerge from that. Yeah. Yep. So spiritual I, I... direction. Um, yeah. I'd like to explore that more because I mean, I know what you're talking about and I know what exactly what you mean. I would love to, and I've never done this. I would like to actually find a good spiritual director. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. Um, for me, it was, um, so I, I was a professor at uh, North Park University teaching youth ministry. And my sister passed away after five weeks in ICU. The chaplain actually said, she goes, this is one of the most traumatic deaths I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, we were called in about seven times to say our final goodbyes and just uh, in a medically induced coma. It was just, it was, it was hell. Yeah. It yeah. was like, oh, this is what hell is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then after a time of grief and close, you know, I was given, I had about a month sabbatical before I had to head back in the classroom. And I thought, how do I head back into a classroom and teach youth ministry and discipleship and the things of God when I still believe in God, but I don't like him right now. Mm -hmm. I don't trust him. Um, And one, that's when I was authentic with my students and just said, you just need to know, I'm going to teach you some things right now. I'm not necessarily on the same page with this, but I believe you need to know this. Um, And they were very gracious with me. Um, And we just talked through, it's like, this is, these are just some basic principles. This is where I'm at spiritually. But then I um, saw a spiritual director and 
he just helped me do the, the hard work of, um, he goes, how are you taught to grieve? How are you taught about death? And I'm like, well, let me tell you my theological. He goes, no, 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 not now, then as a child and listening to God, you know, what, what are my early the, uh, theological views on grief and suffering and death? Um, and then for him, as he would listen to me to say, um, don't stay on the couch with this wrestle with God, hmm. um, like Jacob wrestled. Um, the, it's, the tendency is for people just to check out and he goes, don't. And so to have that person listen with me where I was at my journey and to say, this is my encouragement to you. Um, the encouragement of emotions come uninvited. And so as, you know, somebody Minnesotan, again, I, I, I control my emotions. Um, and for him to give voice to, um, no, emotions will come uninvited and let them be. Um, and it gave me permission. It gave me guidance yeah. to know what to do with the chaos. And I also was working with a therapist at the same time. It was fabulous. I think that's the word. That's, that's my favorite word in what we're doing right now is permission. Mm. I think we not only need permission to grieve, right? We need permission to be, we need permission to be mad or be angry or be all the above, um, to be ourselves because permission produces freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in that freedom where we find our authentic voice, yeah. confidence, security. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you talked about young youth pastors, pastors in general, I think some ways the profession attracts people who do like to please. Yeah. And when you find yourself a people pleaser, you also find yourself very emotionally needy. Yes. And so you inadvertently, we inadvertently propagate that and it's not necessarily serving us serving as well. There's so much to this conversation. Listen, I'm cognizant of your time. When I first shared this project with you a couple months ago, uh, and thought, who do I really want to talk to about this? It was not a long list, and you know that. And um, and so you always make my list, Jenny. So, but you were quite encouraged and um, and excited. I think about our overall premise. How do you see? Um, where do you see the value of this conversation? Where it can go, and how it's hopeful to pastors in general as we close. Um. I, I remember clearly where I was when you were telling me about the project, because it, it felt like you were giving voice to something I was seeing where there was a deep need among our people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it, it is sometimes we can be in the chaos of it. And, and we just need this outside voice to say what you're experiencing. You're not crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And there's a way forward and there's hope and just that sense of, of community um, and community has all sorts of different layers, but the sense mm -hmm. of community of like, Oh, Tim has gone through this. He is inviting people who have gone through this or something similar. And they are, do they've done the hard work of putting their experience into words. And he is, he is drawing the lessons and this, kind of gives me that next step forward. Okay. Here's where I, what I can do. There is a, there's a way out. There's a way out of the chaos. 
Um, and again, the hard work of when I was a child, this is what I was taught. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. let me analyze what I was taught and why do I need permission? Um, is, sorry, I'm getting into a little bit of a mess here, but it's that sense of you are giving people permission and it might, they might not well, even realize they need it until they hear it. We don't usually know we need it until it's, we're in the midst of it, right? Hopefully yeah. it's not too late and we want to cut it off at the pass. So I'm happy to be a voice, even though, you know, sometimes I don't know that my voice is like looking in the mirror. Do we really have something to say? I've got something to say, but you make it better. So um, you added your voice so eloquently to the conversation. And I can't thank you enough for your friendship and your vulnerability and um, your willingness to share openly with anyone who's listening. So thank you for the opportunity. This was a delight. (laughs) It was a delight. Hey, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And, um, hang on the line. This needs to upload. Good. And um, I'll circle back with you soon. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you.